all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. From Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I am Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. There are so many options for over-the-counter supplements out on the market, some replacing important vitamins and minerals, and some designed to help with various ailments such as hot flashes and symptoms of menopause. How do I determine which supplements I need, which ones are safe, or which ones actually work? Today we have Dr. Danny Reich on with us. He is a professor of pharmacy at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and he's going to be discussing this topic further with us. We'd love to hear from you. Share your comments and questions with us. Send us an email at women at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, Women's Health from MPB Think Radio. Thank you for coming today, Danny. Hey, thanks for having me. So I will have to be honest. I feel one of the most challenging questions I get in clinic is... Hey, Dr. Kinsey, I just saw this on TV or Facebook, and I want to know if if it's okay to use this supplement. Do I need this supplement? Is it safe? And the fun part about that is everything you see on TV is like, don't forget to ask your physician. And half the time, I'm like, let me figure this out, too. <laughs> That's so true. I, and, and we see that in clinic for what we do as well. But also um, family <laughs> will we'll have very strong opinions of things like supplements and minerals and vitamins and things that they take and that you should take because they take it and it's helping. It gets very interesting. Um, <laughs> Oh, yeah. And and I'll get patients and half of their med list is supplements. And so one of the things they'll say is, Dr. Kinsey, I'm tired of taking so many pills. What can I subtract? And I think in my head, probably half of the, the things, the <laughs> supplements that you have on here. But I think today is just a really good time to kind of talk about those common things. I always just kind of look up statistics about this. And so Current statistics say about 77% of Americans are taking at least one type of supplement. More specifically, 57.6% of Americans 20 and over have used a dietary supplement in the past 30 days. And then, of course, as we get older and our list grows, the number of supplements we're taking and also about 25% more women use supplements than men. So it looks like we're more open to just some alternative options for treatment. 
And then you and the crazy thing about supplements is it's a huge market. That's the other thing. Oh, tremendous. So it's worth over, or at least statistically what I found as of 2022, over $30 billion. So I know a lot of people are very nervous about Big Farm and I understand mm-hmm. that, you know, being for profit and how many people are, are very concerned about our health versus trying sure. to make a profit. But I try to remind patients, too. They also also aren't giving us supplements for free. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a humongous market. And um, the companies are very much into profit. Um, and, I, but the I think the key concept is you'll I think your, your data was great. Three in every four Americans are on a supplement uh, uh, at some point. Uh, and w- that means not only us as providers, but uh, you when you go to a pharmacy and you're or a grocery store and you're sitting there and there's just this wall of bottles. It's 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 overwhelming, and you don't understand what it is you need. But you might have gotten advice from, say, your doctor or a family member or a, a loved one, or you're doing something for your children. And that overwhelming part is the part that maybe today we can talk about and we can get through some of the more common things that make sense. Um, but I, I think that's that's the biggest thing is this impacts a very large proportion of Mississippi, of America. Um, and so that's why I feel this is a great, important little topic. Of course. So I'm just going to dive right in. So probably one of the most common ones that I get in my patients is, do I need a multivitamin? And that's a really good question. And so in medicine, there are patients that actually do need multivitamins. They actually have many known vitamin deficiencies. So we know that patients, when we get older, sometimes our diet is not as good as it used to be when we were younger. We don't have as good of an appetite. Patients that are vegan, there are certain supplements that we're missing there. Those who have alcohol abuse Mm -hmm. are increased risk of different types of deficiency, limited sun exposure, as we learn, you know, with Mm -hmm. vitamin D. And patients that have diseases such as celiac, Crohn's disease, if you've had any kind of GI surgery, particularly bariatric surgery, all those things can interfere with us absorbing the normal vitamins that we need. So in those patients, I feel like it's pretty straightforward. It's not, you know, a multivitamin would not be harmful. So what might be some, I guess, disadvantages that you come across with a multivitamin or concerns why I might not want a multivitamin? That's a good question. So from a multivitamin perspective, you're talking about micronutrients. So I look at things in a very, it's it's super simple. I look at it as macronutrient and micronutrient. Your macronutrients are your fat, your carbs, and your proteins at least to me. And then your micronutrients are things like your vitamins and then things that you need your your daily allowances of um, from a dietary perspective. And what I, I like to do is think about if you're getting or not getting your macronutrients and how you're getting them and where is it deficient that you need to supplement. So it's very individualized. Um, I think that somebody who has a very uh, uh, rich diet in, in macronutrients, that they can eat a wider range of things and they're not specific to all processed foods, they probably don't need a lot of micronutrient supplementation from a multivitamin. Um, unfortunately, in America, that's not our traditional diet. We're, we're fast food oriented. Um, we're processed food oriented. And um, it, uh, I, I think to a large extent, that means that multivitamins are usable, 
with a low degree of harm. They do, however, come with cost. And I, I think that's an important variable to consider uh, as the environment of cost is increasing from whether you want to talk about inflation or just even grocery prices. Cost of uh, adding micronutrients to supplement what you're intaking dietarily, it's, it's something you need to consider. Um, in terms of harm, there won't be that much. Uh, in terms of which one to pick, I, it does. Uh, You can if you're just because it says men's health and and you 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 aren't interested in men's health. If you actually compare the two products, the difference going to is going to be something like one additive that or two additives or maybe one little difference in dose of one of the micronutrients. They're all very similar. And I would go with low cost (laughs) um, as my choice. Uh, But I, I think that. In terms of who shouldn't have a multivitamin, I, I think that those who are heavy in supplement-rich things, one of the people you said, for example, in clinic, those who come in with 20 supplements, having a multivitamin can sometimes push the toxic level of some of your products. So uh, some of those are safer toxicities. There's no such thing as that, but safer toxicity as in if it's a water-soluble vitamin that you can just eliminate on its own. Some of them are not. And and so you want to watch out if you're already on prescription supplementation for vitamins. Vitamin D comes to mind. Um, or if you are heavy into supplements, you don't want to augment with a multivitamin that could push you into a toxic level of one of them. Exactly. And so all that to say, overall, for the most part, multivitamins are harmless, but just like Danny said, just be mindful when you're taking multiple supplements with the multivitamin, what that additive effect looks like. So most of my patients, I'm like, sure, you know, they say the multivitamin, you know, it helps me with my energy. It helps me with that fatigue. And I feel like if you're getting benefits, then my answer is yes, continue that multivitamin. So you bring up actually probably the most common supplement that is out there, vitamin D. And that's probably the one that I get the most questions about is do I need a vitamin D supplement? Will a vitamin D supplement help me? Yeah, that's not only very common, also very important in this environment. You mentioned the sun exposure decrease. And of course, in the COVID um, um, environment and then post-COVID environment, there's been far less sun exposure uh, for Americans, at least. In addition to that, we have a low amount of vitamin D fortified food that we're continually eating for our macronutrients. Um, Even things like milk, which used to be more of a staple have decreased in adult uh, consumption. And and so what's happening is our our vitamin D, and particularly in our um, women, uh, we're having lower levels that we see clinically in the hospital. Vitamin D deficiency is increasing at, at, excuse the term, pandemic levels. And so you have uh, a situation where uh, supplementation over the counter and sometimes by prescription vitamin D is becoming critical and expected in a large degree of people who are at risk for some of the vitamin D deficiency symptoms and untoward consequences like bone fractures and whatnot. Exactly. And so we hear a lot about vitamin D supplements and there's just so much information out there about vitamin D for bone health, um, helping with immunity. We know in our older patients kind of decreased risk and falls. And there is just so much research out there right now about vitamin D and its overall benefits. And so, as you mentioned, we think about vitamin D in the sun, but there's also other sources. So dairy, plants are fortified with vitamin D, sardines, beef, liver. 
Fisher, sure. you know, salmon. Yeah, that's the one I like the most. Uh, I, I actually recommend a serving a salmon weekly uh-huh. to people who have D deficiency. I think it's a very good way to go about it. And like you mentioned, dairy, you can even go to the point of like fort- defortified cheeses and milks and ha- having recommendations and diet in that way. If you're choosing to not supplement, if you're supplementing, it might not be necessary. Uh, great. So this is Dr. Jasmine Kinsey here with Southern Remedy Women's Health. And I have got with here Dr. Danny Reich. And we have been talking about uh, supplements. And so we kind of rounded out that multivitamins, all in all, low risk, just be mindful. You know, if you're using those what other supplements you're taking mm-hmm. as they can have additive effects. And we've learned that vitamin D has so many benefits overall in general and just a great uh, supplement to take as well, particularly those that are vitamin deficient in D. And so um, we have got our first caller here with us. We have got Alice from Macomb. Hey, Alice. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 75 years old now. And... Uh, I'm taking magnesium 500, vitamin uh, D3, and both of those for the veins and stuff. And then I take B12 1000. It, I don't know too much about this stuff. I just started taking it last year. Well, Alice, uh, you're, you're taking uh, fewer supplements than most people, so that's great um, because oh. I, I don't think you're going too high or risking a lot of toxic situations. Vitamin D, very common to take. Sounds like you're taking it over the counter, is that correct? You get it from a pharmacy? Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. And so those doses will usually range in the uh, 1,000 units to about 10,000 units at the high po- high portion. Do you know which one you're taking? Uh, on what? In on the vitamin D. Oh, on the vitamin D? Yeah. Uh, it's uh, B3, 125 milligrams, sure. 5,000 units, which is the common dose. That's perfectly fine to take once a day. You you said you're on a little bit of B12. That'll give you some energy. How wonderful is that, right? So, I just put me on this last year. Oh. And uh, and then you said magnesium as well, which is something that if it, 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 sometimes the magnesium actually is very hard to absorb. You'd have to have very, very high doses. So I don't think that's doing anything negative or any or affecting any of your other medicines. I, I think you're on a pretty decent supplement regimen there, Miss Alice. Five to five hundred milligrams. Yeah, sure. Okay, the B12 is 1,000 milligrams. No problem, because if the B12 goes too high, guess what happens to that B12? You just You just pee it out. That's all. It's water-soluble, and you just pee pee out anything that comes, uh, comes higher than the uh, lower doses. But that don't affect my, my problem, my glaucoma, cataracts, and dry eyes, and pressure, and my diabetes. Miss Alice, you all good. Hallelujah. Thank you. <laughs> yes, ma'am. It's Alice. All those are safe. And, and and Danny brought up a great point. B12 is one of those water-soluble vitamins. And there is really minimal evidence that there has been anything related to a B12 toxicity. So you're usually pretty safe with taking that one. And just like you said, Miss Alice, you're on a great combination there. <laughs> 
so let's see what the doctor tell me. So don't, don't, uh, don't start no vitamin C's and all that other stuff. Just take what I'm taking and leave the rest just, alone. Just talk with your doctor about it. If that's something that fits your specific thing, then you two, you two have a discussion. Otherwise, you sound like you're good to go. Hey, hey, hey. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Alice. Thank you so much for your call, Alice. And we have got with us here Julie from Memphis. Hi. Hi, Julie. How are you today? I'm well. How are you doing? We're good. So tell us your question. Uh, a quick basic question. Um, someone told me one time that with our supplements that it we should try to go for the powdered capsules versus the compressed tablets. Do you have an opinion on that? I think... Um, hey, Julie, this is Danny. Uh, I think what we uh, want to know is exactly what supplement's being used, how it gets absorbed, what's its intent, what are its adverse outcomes, monitoring parameters, and then how does it affect your specific drug therapy. Sometimes that means the encapsulated and different varieties of that uh, are going to be the preferred. Sometimes that means the powder will actually be the preferred. For example, in women's health, as it relates to menopausal um, uh, treatments, uh, sometimes the powders can be better. Um, and so I think it, it just depends what the product is, how it's intended on being used, and then your specific individual parameters as well. Okay. So, uh, and I'm basically talking about magnesium and a women's 50 plus multivitamin. Um, those two specifically were sure. something that I've switched to powder capsules versus the compressed tablets. Yeah. And I, I think actually with the magnesium, you, you may find a, a slight bit more absorption. The magnesium's really hard to get absorbed and into high levels in the blood. Um, so uh, maybe maybe that's true. I, I don't think the multivitamin powdered versus non-powdered is going to make a terrible amount of difference, maybe as it relates to the B vitamins that are included. But since the RDA or the content is is pretty RDA level for the B vitamins and sometimes just a slightly super RDA, uh, I don't know that it, you'll see something in terms of symptomatic benefit, if that makes any sense. It does. It does. And one last quick question. Um, I do take a uh, mushroom gummy with, a, what is it, five or seven of the essential mushrooms that are all good. Do you have an opinion about that? Am I wasting my money is my question. Well, how, can I ask, what, what's the general per month cost of that product? Um, I would say probably about, um, well, let me look at my bottle here, Too much. probably about 10 to $12 a month. Um, well, I think, you know, everybody has their own in terms of um, uh, what cost means and whatnot. Ten to twelve dollars, I think, in general is in, in the lower area. What I would ask is what you're intending on using the mushroom supplements for, because uh, mushroom supplements have uh, been pro promulgated for a wide range of body related effects. And you even mentioned it's a um, poly mushroom, right? Five to seven. Is, is what you said, I believe. And yeah, so uh, un unfortunately, things like what, what's in that is, is, is a little difficult for me to, to say, oh, it would be beneficial for this or for that. Um, I'd say you probably have very little evidence that it's benefiting you um, at the cost of 10 to $12 a month. That's uh, a pretty marginal cost for a dietary supplement. So um, as long as it's not causing untoward issues and doesn't interact with anything you are currently taking, 
um, I, I, I'd say I would defer to you and your doctor's decision, but I wouldn't be compelled to take it or to recommend it if uh, that was my, if I was in part of your care. Okay. All right. That's uh, fair enough. So, um, all right. Well, that answers all my questions, and I appreciate your help. Thank you so much, Julie, for your call. So, we have learned so much just from our questions with Alice and Julie. And, Julie, I'll be honest, I'm going to have to do a little bit more research myself on the mushroom supplements. Just as I mentioned, you know, it becomes challenging to cover really all of the options that are out there that we're learning so much more about. And that's the catch with many of our herbal supplements is we just don't have good data on them. And so, we're kind of going based off of the things learning as right. we go and then the more popular they become you know definitely the 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 more research we're doing on them but the one thing that i really want to remind our listeners and our patients out there is it really is important to have this discussion with your physician and that being there are some interactions with different supplements that we oh, yeah. take um, on, with various medications that we're taking and the last thing we want is for those supplements to be harmful or cause those particular interactions so so that's why we feel like it's always important to have this discussion with your provider, because the last that we want is the medications that we are taking that we know are effective if those supplements are interfering, because some supplements can decrease the effectiveness of medications that we take. Exactly. And like for the mushrooms, for example, they might be higher in uh, mushrooms, generally higher in antioxidants and polyphenols and some of these, but also blueberries. And so sometimes maybe just supplementing a couple of bowls of blueberries a week is going to be better than supplementing a, a mushroom or a mushroom powders or whatnot and maybe come with less risk. And I think overall, the goal of everyone when we talk about supplements, are we trying to think of the most natural right. way to heal many of our ailments or to or to you know, replace things. But the ultimate goal is if we can do those things in our diet and what we're eating, what we're ingesting, what are some changes that we can make to the things that we're eating. And we're going to go ahead and move on to our next caller, Miss Elizabeth, who's here in Jackson. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I have two um, questions. The first is about vitamin D3. I have historically had really low um, vitamin D levels when I've had lab work done um, and have had trouble maintaining my levels so much so that I was on um, for years, for almost a decade, 50,000 units prescription daily and had regular labs drawn to be sure that I was not toxing out and it took that to keep me in the normal range um, with my labs. But then suddenly it was like some switch flipped in my body and um, my levels started increasing significantly to the point that I could back off of that to, to taking that prescription a couple of times a week. And now I'm just doing over the counter. And I'm just curious if you have any insight about what would um, cause that change in, in the way my body processes or stores um, that vitamin after so many years of being so deficient. So I will be honest, I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> um, I don't really have a great answer for that. But I do really appreciate your question because you bring up a great point. So we know that there. You, uh, the question I get sometimes is D3 versus D2 versus a prescription strength versus over-the-counter strength. One thing about vitamin D is it doesn't function by itself, right? So our body also has its own way of handling vitamin D. So we know that um, vitamin D can sometimes depend on what our calcium level is in our body. Um, we have a parathyroid hormone that's responsible um, for 
how we metabolize vitamin D or how much vitamin D we need and how we regulate the vitamin D in our body. So there's so many things in our body that regulate vitamin D outside of us taking the supplement. So it's really challenging to answer that question, but I I feel like that it's probably more so related to how our body responds to things over time. And so we get that a lot. There's patients that we feel like we're just giving them prescription strengths of vitamin D, that vitamin D2 that you're talking about, the ergocalciferol, the 50,000 units that's only available through your doctor, um, you know, that oftentimes, and then, like you said, a switch flips and all of a sudden our vitamin D levels are okay. But there is still some controversy, even if, you know, vitamin D levels, how accurate are the lab that we're testing as well? And so, we have so much to learn in medicine. We're trying to, you know, replicate what the body does. And so, of course, our body, everybody's body is going to ultimately be the variable. So I wish I had a better answer for you, but I'll be honest, I do see it a lot. (laughs) Okay, well, that makes me feel better. (laughs) Um, If I could ask you just one other quick question, which is I also take um, B12, and I do weekly injections that I've learned to do at home with my B12. But I had a pharmacist tell me that, he had seen research that said that sublingual was just as effective as um, sub Q B12, and I wondered what y'all's thoughts were on that. Um, actually, there's uh, some good data for the the sublingual, and because of that, you you've seen the dietary market add things like um, B12 little dissolvable on the tongue things, uh, whether yeah. it be tablets or little papers or whatnot. Um, and actually, I, I think the key concept is just to supplement the B12 and uh, su- uh, sublingual is a mechanism of good absorption of B12. You might feel it in a fast way. The one thing I would say is, though, in comparison to what you're currently doing, you're getting an injection. And so that is going to shoot your B12 levels very quickly high. And then your B12 levels will come down over time. Whereas if you're doing it uh, sublingually, it's more of a daily, twice daily, whatever the uh, product would be. And you might have a uh, lessened uh, energy bump early, but maybe a more consistent one over time where you don't actually fall below where the B12 is stimulating your energy. So while I'm not disagreeing with that pharmacist, what I would say is it depends on your desire for what the B12 does for you as to which would be better. Okay, that makes sense. And and mine um, is primarily with some neuropathy kind of stuff. Right, right. So, um, okay, well, thank y'all so much. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks so much for that, Elizabeth, because B12 is a big one. We, I really feel like the culture for B12 is changing, and it really has shown that not a whole lot of people really need the injections anymore. I feel like that was the norm years yeah. ago, and now we're seeing that. And, of course, again, as I've mentioned, if you have a true issue with absorption of B12, that is a different group of patients Her, yes. I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But most other patients that have a vitamin B12 deficiency are able to supplement with just the orals without yes. having to worry about injections anymore. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, the, of course, the sublingual avoids any kind of metabolism or absorption issue in the gut and et cetera and whatnot. It, it, I think B12, though, is, is critically important, as you've mentioned. And she, uh, met the, the, the um, young lady, she mentioned uh, peripheral neuropathy. There's anemias. There's uh, fatigue, uh, palpitations, all these other things that B12 tends to help with. So very good product for consideration of a dietary supplement, especially with the diet for the general American diet. 
This is Dr. Jasmine Kinsey here with Southern Remedy Women's Health, and I have with me Dr. Danny Reich, our, our professor of pharmacy, and we have had a wonderful discussion today on supplements. And so I have we have learned a lot about vitamin D, vitamin B12, all of the kind of common questions that I ultimately get in our clinic on supplements. And so we have got our next caller. This is Michelle from Shibuta, Mississippi. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you today? I won't complain. I'm on this side of the dirt. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so I'm calling today because I have a comment and I have a question. The question is also about B12. And the question is, are there any contraindications for B12 with medicines, any, any sort of medicine or medication, I should say? Uh, like drug interactions, you mean, perhaps? Yes, yes, um, yes, I, I, I'd say in general, and it, it, it might depend a little bit, but I, I'd say in general, I'm not as concerned about um, any traditional prescription or over-the-counter dose of B12 with pretty much any medicine that you would take traditionally by mouth or even most of the injectable prescription medicines that are currently available. What I'd say is... Um, uh, perhaps there are polyherbals or products over the counter that I don't necessarily know what's in them or that aren't regulated and none of them are regulated by the FDA. Um, and, and thus, I, I wouldn't be able to comment on whether that could cause toxicity. But as it relates to traditionally prescribed or standard over the counter medications that are uh, run through USP, um, I, th- I think you're good to go. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that. And then the comment was when the lady was asking about mushrooms. I would say that the mushrooms, if you're going to take them, it all depends on the reason why you're taking them. Because then it could be beneficial for them to spend that 10 or $12 a month. I'm a two-time lung cancer survivor. And the first time I was diagnosed was in December. But surgery wasn't until April. And so I was thinking, what can I do to help myself? What can I do to help myself while I'm waiting for the surgery, because then we know cancer can spread at the blink of an eye. And so I did my research and I did a lot of studying and mushrooms was one of the things I was taking because it boosts the immune system. You want to keep your, your immune system as strong as possible so that it hopes that it doesn't spread and that it will fight off until you can get help in other directions. So it does help. It all depends on the situation of why you're taking it, because if you're just taking it, just be taking it and for no particular reason, then maybe 10 or $12 is too much. But if you're taking it for some other reasons that you think it's going to help, then I would say go for it. Yes, ma'am. Well, thank you, Michelle, for sharing that with us. And congratulations as a cancer survivor. And, and that's that's awesome. And, you know, that that's really you bring up the point that that's the challenge of supplements is, you know, as physicians, we always weigh um, the benefits and the risks. You know, if what we're doing for our patients, we believe and of course, them, most importantly, believe is of significant benefit without a high level of risk. And so the hard part about supplements is it's really hard to say, you know, if if there's a lot of negative side effects or what it may do for each individual person. And so, you know, you brought up a great point that, you know, depends on what you're using the mushrooms for. And it also depends on each person's particular health and what they're treating. So thank you, Michelle. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. I'd like to say one more thing. I do suggest that they contact their doctor or do some research on if there are some contraindications of anything that they may be taking or try to learn more about it before you take it. 
I've been doing herbs since 1987, and I won't do uh, man-made medications at all, even if it means I'm going to die tomorrow. I'd rather do the natural. And so, but a lot of people just jump into it and take things and and don't know anything about it. They just heard about it, and I think that they should either ask their doctor or do some studying or something. Try to try to figure it out before you just go popping something in your mouth. Anyway, thank you for listening. Have a great day. You too. Thank you, Michelle. And we're going to move on to our next caller. I've got Brenda from Lumberton. Yes, ma'am. Good morning. Good morning. I've had a bout with high cholesterol, but I'm one of them people that cannot take cholesterol medications. So is there any natural thing that I could take that would lower my cholesterol, my bad cholesterol? Um. So... Uh, and your name was Brenda, correct? Yes, sir. All right. Hey, Miss Brenda. Um, so I, I'm actually a lipid specialist, and I'm the lipid specialist for our oh, medical cool center. Um, and if you're in a situation like that, me and Dr. Kensey would love to see you one day uh, if you can make the trip over from Lumberton to UMC. But uh, nonetheless, to answer the question in a very generic way, because I don't know your whole history, and that's probably not a great thing to share over the radio anyway, um, there are a couple of products that are available over the counter or from a dietary supplement perspective that are useful for cholesterol management. Um, it depends on your specific intolerances and different things that you've had happen in the past on prescription medications. But just to give you a couple of things that you can research on your own uh, would be uh, things like polycosinol, uh, red yeast rice. Um, and then I also would back up to vitamin D, not that it lowers cholesterol, but people who have low vitamin D generally will not tolerate statin medications for cholesterol management. Correcting the vitamin D and correcting thyroid underlying abnormality will then cause tolerance towards the statins as well. So sometimes the over-the-counter product or the dietary supplement can cause you to t- uh, to be able to then tolerate the prescription product. Uh, there may be other smaller scale or lower uh, evidence-based products uh, that you can get or that they would propagate in a polyherbal, uh, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend them for you. And I definitely would have a conversation with your doctor about potentially things underlying that are causing your uh, intolerances or allergies or issues with the prescription cholesterol products. Okay, um, I tried to kind of fix it myself with diet and exercise. I eliminated probably almost 100% of my saturated fat. And, uh, boy, I miss a lot of it, though. Um, (laughs) And I did drop my level 24 points over a six-month period. But my doctor said that's not substantial because I started out high at 279. So to me, I thought 24 points was all right, you know, but But, um, she said that we could try some other kind of um, medication. But if I have that much trouble with the ones you take by mouth and I can just, you know, discontinue taking those. Sure. But the injection, I can't take that out. Sure. It gets really complicated in cholesterol management. Certainly something that uh, would be important to walk through with your doctor. In terms of the counter products and polyherbals, they're probably not going to have significant benefit for your level of cholesterol. Okay. All righty. 
I appreciate y'all. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for your call, Brenda. And we're going to move right along to Miss Mary from Jackson. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm great in yourself. Pretty good. Good. I have a question. I'm interested in some type of supplement that will increase muscle uh, strengthening uh, overall. And I was wondering what would be the ideal supplement that would actually be beneficial. So you're looking for muscle strengthening. That's very interesting. Um, I'm not going to go into the the why, just to not share on the radio, um, but that's an important construct there. Like, why would we be looking for that? The I, I, I'm going to go ahead and share with you the bad news, which is there's not a whole lot out there for necessarily muscle strengthening that isn't something like a prescription um, a steroid or uh, in the area of things like testosterone and hormone supplementation and growth hormone and things like that. Uh, for over-the-counter products, the only muscular thing I would be willing to consider on the radio and generically and in general is coenzyme Q10, um, but it's not going to build. Uh, it's more so uh, something that if you have low levels of Q2 in your muscle, which there's no way to know that without a biopsy, but if you have low levels of Q2, supplementing the CoQ10 will then cause a little bit of your muscle pain to dissipate. Um, but in terms of building, I don't think we're going to be able to get there. It's it's going to be more doing things like physical therapy, focusing on protein to fat ratios, um, uh, getting out and having the aerobic exercise, and then the resistance training exercise. That's it's most helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. You have a great day. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health, and I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. I have here with me Dr. Danny Reich, who's one of our professors of pharmacy at UMMC. And we have just had a wonderful time learning so much about supplements and just taking all of your great questions out there. I've learned a lot from Danny on this and just really have given me ultimately just a lot of great food for thought. Um, we have covered vitamin D deficiency, vitamin B12 deficiency. We've talked about cholesterol and some things that we can do over the counter for that as well. So we have just learned a good bit in this past hour on supplements in general. So we have, like I've mentioned before, learned a good bit about supplements in general. And we've got a couple of callers here online. So we're going to go ahead and move to John from Mobile, Alabama. Hey, John, what's going on? About zinc. And I've got a bottle in my hand, zinc, 50 milligrams. And uh, I see that it says it supports immune health and brain function. And so I've got multiple sclerosis. And multiple sclerosis is something that affects the brain and the the the, the spinal cord. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, so I thought, well, maybe that's good. But then somebody told me that it's not good to take metals. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that, please? Uh, sure, John. I, well, first, uh, uh, with uh, multiple sclerosis, be sure to be in very constant communication with your physician on anything you do over the counter or herbal supplements, uh, just because of how those it, 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 and I, I, presumptively how those medicines work and what they're doing. Because as you mentioned, the brain gets involved. For zinc, generically, it's just a, a actually a very good immune booster. Um, in part, maybe because we don't have some zinc fortified things in our diet. And thus we were low in zinc 
and we should have a higher immune-related uh, function for zinc. Um, the milligram content you mentioned is very common. Uh, doesn't sound toxic to me, uh, I, I, depending on how you're taking it, which I would only take it as it would be on the bottle. Uh, I don't. And while it is technically a metal, uh, it's it's not one that I would um, be fearful of for things like for things that happen medically uh, with some of your medications. Uh, Zinc may have some drug drug interactions that would be relevant. And I would definitely either talk with your pharmacist or go ahead and make sure none of the medicines you're on go uh, interfere with the zinc. Interfere with it. yeah, I don't take any any medicines at all. Sure. You know, the doctor wanted me on um, all these drugs, and I said, no, I don't want to because I've got too much, too many uh, side effects. I, so I don't take anything. I understand completely, John. Uh, in terms of the zinc, in uh, uh, what I'd say is certainly if you were zinc deficient, it makes sense. Um, in in the aspect of non-zinc deficiency, sometimes you can see uh, zinc as a preventative for some of the more common uh, things like common cold um, or decreasing uh, length of some of the more common uh, viral illnesses. Uh, you, that's you its probable word, role. You said the word zinc, zinc deficient. How do I test to see if I am zinc deficient or not? Uh, well, and so there's a, a simple blood test you can do with your physician um, if uh, if that's oh, something okay. that you would like to do. But since you're on the oh, zinc, okay. you're probably not deficient, <laughs> just to be clear. Okay. No, I haven't started taking it yet. In fact, ah. I haven't even opened the bottle. Yeah. Got it. Well, yeah, yeah have that conversation with your doctor, uh, and I think I, I would go ahead and go from there. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, John. You have a great day. And we've got another caller right here behind John. And please uh, apologize if I mispronounce your name, but is it Cherise from Jackson? Yes. yes. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about what's going on, Cherise. Well, I'm just trying to find out if um, probiotics, they're promoting that so much. And I'm just trying to find out if it's worth buying and taking I do suffer with um, gas and bloating, sometimes indigestion. And so um, I was just trying to see if you all thought that it was worth buying that particular um, supplement and taking it. Yes, ma'am. That's a great question. I am actually a pro-probiotic person. I think it overall has wonderful benefits with very minimal problems or side effects or issues that patients may have. So a lot of the research in probiotics is mainly those when we take a lot of antibiotics and and trying to keep our gut flora healthy. So that's kind of where the probiotics came around. If you're going to if you're ill and you've been taking an antibiotic and we want to replenish our gut with the healthy bacteria, that's oftentimes what people are often suggested that you take a probiotic for. But I'll be honest, in a lot of patients, I see with many of your symptoms, the gas, the bloating, or if they're not regular, have issues with constipations, have really seen benefits from taking a probiotic daily. So it's one of those things that typically doesn't interact with any of the medications you're taking and overall gives some benefits to my patients. So I tell people, go for it. Okay. And one other thing, um, I, I've been driving since the show started, and so I'm in and out of the car, so I'm trying to figure out, can I come back and, um, you know, listen to this again? Is it, like, recorded where we can come back and listen to the show? 
Yes, ma'am, you can. It is, uh, it's part of the Southern Remedy podcast, and uh, that's uh, if you search Southern Remedy, it's a podcast that you can subscribe to free uh, wherever you listen to your podcast from. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate y'all. Yes, ma'am. Well, thank you so much for calling, Miss Cherise. Well, we have learned so much over this past hour that I, I, I don't even think we really touched the surface of, yeah. of supplements. So Danny and I were joking. We're like, we're going to have to have part two to this because there's so many more things to cover in general as we talk about women's supplements. And so um, we always encourage your calls. And please remember that you can listen to us every week. And, and as I mentioned before, Danny and I are definitely going to have to do a part two. So, yeah, we so look we out for all for, for that show, ultimately. <laughs> well, we definitely appreciate you guys. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health. It is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio, and it is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy Women's Health on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.